Hey everyone, I'm your host, Andres Sanchez, and this is Sociology Talk. Hey everyone, thanks for coming back to another episode of Sociology Talk. Uh, here we have Dr. Alem Kabedi, who is a sociology professor at CSUB. Thank you for coming and thanks for joining us on the podcast. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and so uh, one of the main questions I start off with with uh, everybody that comes onto the podcast is what brought you into sociology? How did you fall in love with the discipline? Wow, um, I think it's a long story, but I'll <laughs> try to make it as short as possible. So what happened is when I was uh, probably a little boy, I was interested in mathematics first and foremost. And then um, something major happened where I was born and raised, and that is the um, Ethiopian revolution, mm -hmm. which overthrew Emperor Haile Selassie. And then um, I had a lot of questions as a teenager about what's going on, what is happening, where are we headed, why is this happening? Mm -hmm. And especially one of the questions that kept coming to my mind was that, you know, I was told that this country has a long history of independence, um, a history of civilization, all that. But as far as the economy is concerned, uh, the country was not really doing well. Mm -hmm. You know, you find the poorest of the poorest in that part of the world. So as a kid, I was wondering why. I mean, you can't have two things simultaneously this, at the same time. This is really an anomaly. You mm -hmm. have this long history on the one hand, but at the same time, you have this economic underdevelopment as well. And what's the reason? I was curious. Mm -hmm. And I thought that, you know, maybe I will find the answer to this question by studying philosophy. Mm -hmm. So in college, I ended up being a philosophy major. And um, it was very interesting. But, you know, I was naive to say to myself that there is this ready-made solution to the questions that I have, but I couldn't find it. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it was my critical imagination um, increased exponentially by studying philosophy. And, mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm, I'm happy and I'm, uh, I was glad I'm glad that I have studied philosophy in that yeah. sense. Mm -hmm. And then what happened was I had the opportunity to, uh, I was given the opportunity to transition from philosophy to sociology. I mm -hmm. got a Wallet Bank scholarship. So, um, you know, I had, um, my idea about sociology was very limited, elementary. Mm -hmm. But uh, once I came to the United States, I studied to take sociology classes I was fascinated I found out that this is really the discipline for me this is what I was uh, expecting because in sociology what I have found is that there is a theory part and mm -hmm. also there is also the research part as well in philosophy there is so much theory sometimes mm -hmm. uh, the theories are too abstract for example in connection with metaphysics that kind of stuff mm -hmm. so in sociology it's about real life it's about people it's about social history and also there is also the philosophical dimension as well the sociological mm -hmm. imagination is in part it's a philosophical imagination as well the theoretical side mm -hmm. so that's how uh, i ended up being a sociologist once i got my master's degree 
then um, I was really encouraged to do my PhD as well. Mm-hmm. And I did a PhD, my PhD in sociology. And I did um, a master's degree in philosophy as well simultaneously while I yeah. was a graduate student working on my dissertation. I was also taking philosophy classes. Wow. So I ended up having a master's degree in philosophy and a PhD in sociology. Okay. So this is in a nutshell yeah. uh, what happened. There is There are there's so much history to it, but yeah. probably and, um, we don't have much time on that. Yeah, you mentioned that you um, received your PhD, your master's degree. Was that in the U.S.? Yeah, it was uh, my master's degree in sociology was from Oklahoma State University. Okay. Stillwater, Oklahoma. Okay. And um, my uh, PhD is from the same place. And I did, Ah. as I said, the master's degree from Oklahoma State as well. Yeah. So all my three degrees, the philosophy degree, and in masters in philosophy and masters in uh, sociology and PhD in sociology, all of them are from Oklahoma State University. Mm-hmm. And my bachelor's degree in philosophy is from Addis Ababa University, Ethiopia. Okay, all right, yeah. interesting. Yeah, you had mentioned that uh, you had taken ph- philosophy, and then that really helped you build on your knowledge of, of social theory and sociological or sociological theory. And it's totally true. I mean, um, for those of you listening, I, I took. Dr. Gabetti's class <laughs> as a as a graduate student, and we yeah the the background of philosophy definitely does help because it it bridges to the social theories that we learn about mm-hmm. in class, and it it did benefit you in that way. Did you find any like challenges to relating these concepts and these ideas to theory being in the U.S. because the U.S. and the culture was so Mm-hmm. Uh, different. I always kind of thought like, you know, I know I understand these concepts, these theories, and I can give examples of them in the context of the United States because mm-hmm. I'm so immersed in that society. Mm-hmm. And so did you find it difficult to uh, wrap your head around things like concepts mm-hmm. when learning about them in the U.S.? Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, um, it is, you're right. The uh, raw material for uh, the sociological imagination primarily comes from your personal experience, mm-hmm. social experience. So, you know, at first, when I think, when I was using my sociological imagination, I was thinking of the processes, the events that has taken place where I was born and raised. Mm-hmm. But uh, interestingly enough, once I am here, the, I was in a position to use the materials here as well yeah. as as new to the american social system to the american social order i was in the learning process and mm-hmm. i was the good part about this uh. i was doing two things simultaneously i was using my sociological imagination and this time the material is new and what is interesting about m- me being um, new to this social life is that you know i'm not familiar about it, it's like an object standing in front of me. Mm-hmm. The American culture, I can see it. The American capitalistic order. Yeah. And it's out there for me to see it. It's not like somebody who's born and raised who takes it for granted. Right. Whereas mm-hmm. with me, it's an object uh, out there almost. Interesting. And then um, that way, really, I had a very interesting experience as far as understanding, examining the experience here in the United States. So mm-hmm. one of the advantages that I have over, I would say, as a sociologist, is, you know, my 
uh, I have both experiences, uh, mm -hmm. the experience here in the United States and the experience that I have from elsewhere as well. So usually in the classes that I teach, I go back and forth, comparing and contrasting. Mm -hmm. This is, for example, in some instances, it's really easy for me to explain certain concepts like me mechanical solidarity and organic solidarity by Emil Durkheim, mm -hmm. because I understand what he means by mechanical solidarity. Yeah. It has to do with traditional societies, organic solidarity with modern societies like here in the United States. So you are right. At first, you know, much of the examples that I have, and as I said, the raw material mm -hmm. for sociological imagination comes from uh, the history and the experience that I had in that part of the world. Right. Yeah. But here, it was really, it, it was fun for me. Yeah. You know, I had to go through processes myself, you know. One of the things that I talk in class usually is my... The um, cultural experience here in the United States, the culture shock that I had. Mm -hmm. You know, at first I thought, you know, I'm going to be, here I am, I'm going to be in the United States. I know much about it because I used to read novels. I, I know the history <laughs> of the United States to a certain degree. Yeah. So it's going to be a piece of cake for me once I'm in the United States. But actually, that's not what happened. It was completely different. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It was the shock. I mm -hmm. was so disoriented. Uh, at first. Yeah. So I had to pass that experience. That in itself was a sociological moment for me. Yeah. So you know what happens when you move from one cultural domain into another cultural domain. Mm -hmm. So the movement, uh, that is a sociological experience. And I can talk about it. Mm -hmm. I haven't written about it. Probably sometime <laughs> in the future maybe I'll write about it, the experience that I had. Yeah. So, you know, in contrast to the, to an individual who talks about cultural shock as a concept, um, in my case, I can talk about the theoretical dimensions of that concept and I can provide real examples. Right. This is what happened to me. This is what I have gone through. Mm -hmm. So, you know, yeah, I have a very interesting experience as far as transitioning from not only from philosophy to sociology, but from one cultural domain here. Mm -hmm. So that kind of process was a very interesting process. Yeah, that's fascinating. You make a good point. I mean, it's uh, I. This is like I was born in the U.S., so it's I take it for granted. Like that, it's just the everyday way of doing things. And so you may see things coming from somewhere else that I tend to overlook, and so that can play a part in, you know, um, the concepts yeah. and the ideas that you see in yeah. sociology. So yeah. yeah, that's really interesting. And so you had mentioned that uh, you're from Oklahoma or not, not from Oklahoma. You, you went to Oklahoma, Oklahoma to, State, uh, yeah, yeah, to get your, uh, grad, your, your master's and your PhD level work done. Um, how did you find yourself coming to Bakersfield? How did, how did that happen? Well, the, um, process was, you know, I had to apply to different places. Probably one of the stories that I have here is, you know, even after staying here in the United States, my knowledge about California was very limited. Mm -hmm. You know, for some reason, I used to say to myself, I'll be happy if I go to some place where I can teach social theory. Mm -hmm. And if it's in California, too, oh, I'm going to be very happy. <laughs> I don't know that there are distinctions here. <laughs> 
I don't know much about different places in California. Yeah. I thought, you know, I was naive. I thought that this is almost a homogeneous kind of um, society. Mm-hmm. I was wrong. So I know I had this view. And I was interested in coming to California. Probably part of it has to do with weather. Mm-hmm. And then uh, what happened is after graduation, I decided to go to University of Tennessee. Uh, okay. There I was t- teaching as I was a, a visiting assistant professor for one year. I'm glad I did it there. And then while I was there, well, I had to apply again. And then one of the places was here. And the primary reason why I came here is they were looking for a social theorist. Oh, wow. And mm-hmm. your social theorist, rarely is that advertised. Mm. And then because of my philosophy background that I, I used to say that, you know, I can do a good job as far as social theory is concerned. Mm-hmm. So when I found that opportunity, I applied and the competition was not easy, but I, I made it. <laughs> yeah, That's how I ended up coming here to California. Okay, interesting. So we had, uh, I guess CSUB had published something that said we're looking specifically for someone that can teach theory. Theory, the social theorist, yeah. Okay, interesting. Mm-hmm. And um, what did what do you, I don't know, what do you enjoy about teaching theory? What mm-hmm. are, I guess, what are the main things you enjoy about it? Yeah, first of all, I really enjoy teaching yeah. uh, in general. You know, as I would, I remember and when I was a teenager, I used to teach math to adults. Uh, I okay. was having fun. And one of the things that I used to do at that time was, you know, this. they were, most of the adults that were taking that class, the math class, were struggling. Mm. And I was trying to take their perspective. How do I make it palatable? How do I make it understandable? So I had to work on that. And interestingly enough, I, I really enjoyed uh, that experience. And I say to myself, you know, if I become a university professor, I'll be more than happy. The mm. other thing is as far as, Teaching is concerned. I like discussion. I like discourse. Mm-hmm. I like, you know, tit for tat as far as discussion is concerned. You know, expressing my thoughts, listening mm-hmm. to what others um, say about this particular subject matter. So I am. I, I have that kind of personality. Mm-hmm. So, so once I get here to um, CSUB, I enjoyed uh, teaching sociology as well. Number one, I mean, sociology is very interesting. It's about social life, the uh, whatever examples that you want to discuss in class that are readily available. I mm-hmm. like reading social history as well. Yeah. So I enjoy teaching sociology. It's really, it's fun to do it. And especially theory, the challenging part is okay. This I have this set of concepts. Mm-hmm. Number one, how do I make it understandable to students? And number two, what's the relevance of having this concept? Mm-hmm. So to me, so, uh, sociological theory should not be treated just as an end in itself. Mm-hmm. It has to be uh, an instrument as well for a better understanding of social life. Not only, even you can go beyond that. You can yeah. use it for a number of reasons. The, if you want to have a better social order, uh, a well-ordered society, then sociology plays a very important role. 
So mm-hmm. when you teach sociology in general and sociological theory in particular, you have that opportunity. Mm-hmm. So that's what um, what is happening as far as teaching is concerned. I really, really enjoy teaching. It's mm-hmm. fun for me. And I, I don't consider, you know, there is this expression, sociology is not a job. Uh, it's just a profession. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would even go beyond that. It's fun for me to teach sociology. It's, uh, it's very uh, interesting. And, um, you know, I had a very good reason to be a sociologist. And the reason was, has to do with my desire to understand mm. the will to empower myself by having a proper understanding of social life. Mm-hmm. So I think, um, you know, uh, it's not because I was forced by a variety of factors. I was pushed to the discipline to become an instructor, a professor of sociology and social theory. But um, the agency part plays a very important role here. I wanted it mm-hmm. and I got it. And here I am. I enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're passionate about it. Yeah, it's your I'm identity. very passionate <laughs> yeah. about it. Yeah, yeah. There's I, a, I like it. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of similarities when you know when I'm reading a text and I'm trying to deliver that those concepts, that information. Like you said, um, I off when I understand and I finally grasp it, mm-hmm. I think about it and I say, um, "How did I get to that point? Mm-hmm. How did I get to not understanding it to?" you know, knowing it. And yeah. I think you had mentioned, you know, how, how do I get students to understand that? Mm-hmm. And that's a really key part of teaching yeah. as well. And I think yeah. that that's also fun too, because yeah. you're trying to connect that and help that make sense to them as well. And when they mm. finally grasp that, um, yeah. it's, it's rewarding, you know, yeah. and it just feels yeah. great, you know, and, yeah. and theory is such a, it's such a fun topic too, yeah. you know, so I totally understand why, you know, you, you love it so much. Um, and that there's, you could always have discussion. There's different, even within the sociological theories that we learn about from classical theory, you know, each one of those individuals like Weber, Marx, uh, Durkheim, um, you know, George, George Herbert Mead, they all thought about society and how society functioned in different ways. All right. I forgot about talking to Parsons, Parsons mm-hmm. the f- structural functionalists. They had their own ideas about how society unfolded. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's a lot of discussion, you know, do you feel like this theory makes more sense? Does it resonate more with you? Or students often think like, oh, I think I resonate more with Marx. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't openly admit that. But, <laughs> you know, it's just I even had one student who's like, well, I don't I don't really see it in anything wrong with Marx's ideas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so you, you get these um people that that think about it and they're like, wow, that's like really interesting. And yeah. you know, students, when they understand yeah. and they fully uh, when they understand it, it's just really fun, you know, yeah. and, and we can have these conversations yeah. about society, yeah. how it works. I'm glad you asked this question because, you know, there are multiple uh, levels of understanding. Mm-hmm. There is a superficial level. Uh, or let's take on the part of students, you know, you can memorize a concept, you have the definition and you pass a class with a good grade. You know, there is that form of understanding, very limited. And most of the time, chances are, if you go that route, you will just pass through that process and forget it. Yeah. But there is another level, a higher level, when you internalize a concept. Mm-hmm. And then especially when that concept helps you understand 
your own personal experience. Mm-hmm. When your understanding about social life expands, when you can say something about social life on the basis of this concept, then you truly have a sociological imagination, yeah. another level. Mm-hmm. You know, an, an understanding, this type of understanding versus a type of understanding that um, I mentioned. You can make a classification, first order, and second order understanding. The second order understanding is like the example that you mentioned that, you know, you understand this concept and then you say to yourself, oh my goodness, uh, this is my life. I yeah. can explain my life now. Mm-hmm. It, it helps me. So one of the pluses of studying sociology is that, you know, it helps you make sense of social life. Mm-hmm. Even it helps you personal, personally to adjust. I mean, life could be sometimes challenging, and then when you have an understanding via this sociological, particular sociological theory or concept, then you know you are better off. Mm-hmm. You know, so even it can have an impact at a very micro level, at, at a very personal level. Yeah. So yeah, yeah that's uh, the process. That's what is interesting about sociology. If you really, truly commit yourself to comprehension, grasping, understanding, Mm -hmm. the second order type of understanding that I mentioned, then you are better off. It's to your advantage. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've had uh, plenty of, uh, I've interviewed plenty of alumni that mentioned that. They say, you know, it helps me make sense of my own experiences. Mm. And it also helps me to make sense of other people's experiences, Mm -hmm. to humanize them and to know that they are, there are multiple factors that can be influencing what their state is mm. or their situation and not to just write it off as, Oh, this homeless person is just lazy, you know, and yeah. doesn't want to try hard to get a job. But yeah. when we're in sociology, we know that there's multiple factors that can often play a part mm. in leading to that situation or yeah. so someone being homeless. And so yeah. it's to not really, write that off or just ignore it, but to also apply your understanding of sociology to the other person's experiences yeah. as well. So, yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, um, well, One of the, the ways that I explain that process is by what I call explaining in and explaining out. Mm-hmm. That is, when you explain out, you dismiss a social problem, like the one that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Well, this, look at this homeless guy. He's a problem. Mm-hmm. He can't figure out how things can be carried out. So mm-hmm. you are explaining away a social mm-hmm. process. But when you explain in, what you do is you put yourself in the shoe of that particular person. Then you put that person even within the framework of the social structure that we have. Here we have an agent for whatever reason who is failing. And then you have an understanding. You explain the experience of this particular homeless person mm. by way of the interplay between agency and structure. So in this case, you are explaining in mm-hmm. versus explaining away. Right. So what we do in sociology classes or what I do in sociology classes is most students come with this orientation, with this mode of understanding. They tend to... Uh, explain away things, dismissing. Mm-hmm. And most of the time having this individualistic interpretation of social processes. 
but um, we expect them, I expect them to expand their sociological imagination. Then this time, if I really succeed, what I do is that um, these students are now explaining in social processes, right. having an understanding of what yeah. is taking place. And it's so fascinating how I, you know, I'll run into somebody and just have a, a casual conversation with them and how they don't have empathy. Mm-hmm. And I think sociology tends to teach us that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think everybody needs to take it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think everybody should be required to take yeah, it. Yeah, I know. But that's just yeah. me. You know, I'm biased. I'm a sociologist. Yeah, yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, most people do not have a proper understanding of what sociology is all about. Mm -hmm. In part because, you know, to have this kind of imagination is not easy, first of all. Mm -hmm. If you are born and raised at a place where individualism is so pervasive, so ubiquitous, that um, you cannot transcend that kind of mode of understanding. Mm -hmm. So in sociology, you are required, you are expected to transcend that individualistic mm-hmm. type of understanding. Right. So it's not easy. I mean, you can't, you can't uh, break from that continuity. All of a sudden, somebody, a sociologist is telling you, you know what, there is another form of understanding. Mm-hmm. You better do that. Then, um, <laughs> you know, if you have been with this type of understanding all your life, you're into, it's very difficult to transition from that mode of understanding into this type of mode of understanding. Yeah. That's why, you know, it's not easy for us to teach sociology, and it's not easy for non-sociologists to understand what we are trying to convey as well. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I mean, they're just so immersed in their way of doing things, and mm. in, like you mentioned, individualism, and uh, it's hard to understand or picture uh, a different alternative, mm. right, to the process of doing things. So, yeah, that's so interesting. And so um, we had mentioned and we talked about the rewards and of teaching um what would you consider the challenges of the teaching profession or or teaching sociology? Yeah. Well, I already mentioned one of the challenges. You know, here we are talking about a new type of understanding, mm-hmm. sociological imagination. There are a variety, different types of imaginations. You know, sociology, one of them. There is a philosophical imagination, the historical imagination. And then there is a layperson's imagination. And most mm. of the time, people have this distorted view about sociological imagination. So their understanding is limited. I'm, I'm not blaming them. Mm. This is how they were raised. So, you know, now you are requiring them. You know what? Okay. You have to suspend that form of understanding in the interest of this one. This mm. one is, this one actually provides us a new perspective a new understanding. You remember I mentioned the distinction between first order and second order understanding. Mm-hmm. So you are requiring them to have a new form of, to adapt to the new form of understanding. Mm-hmm. So students have trouble transitioning from that to this one. And, yeah. you know, the, like sociological theory, teaching sociological theory class, it's not just purely theoretical. It has a practical dimension to it as well. Mm-hmm. Because practically, how do you use this set of concepts for the purposes of understanding what is happening? Let's mm-hmm. say here we have a major social problem someplace, and then how do you explain it? So using mm-hmm. sociological ideas, it's not easy. Yeah. So that's one of the challenges that I 
encounter most of the time. You yeah. know, even for a sociologist, it's not always easy. Even if you have the appropriate set of concepts, you know, you cannot explain everything by way of sociology. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not in the, adhering to this idea of total sociology, where sociology is capable of explaining everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes life could be mysterious. We can only go up to a certain point. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, one of uh, the uh, challenges, mm-hmm. uh, especially making students utilize the sociological conceptual framework yeah. for the purposes of understanding social processes. So it's not teaching sociology is not easy. It, it's not, it doesn't, I'm not saying that it's not interesting. Mm-hmm. The challenge, there is that part, the challenge, it's not easy, but it's interesting as well. I mean, yeah. you you see somebody challenging you. For example, coming up from a non-sociological approach, uh, mm-hmm. trying to challenge. Sometimes some people are unhappy by what I'm <laughs> saying. Yeah. Some pe- sometimes, um, you know, they think that I'm personally attacking them. That's not what I'm trying to do here. I'm just simply relying with using this set of concepts for the purposes of understanding. Yeah. And what is interesting about sociology is that Whatever claim that you make, it has to be substantiated by evidence. Mm-hmm. So, you know, most of the time students, that's another challenge. Most of students, I mean, express their thoughts. And then the question is, okay, where is the data? How do you justify this claim? Mm-hmm. And uh, they are not used to that kind of approach. <laughs> they think, you know what? Okay, this is what I have been thinking all my life. Yeah. This is how it is. This is how life is. Okay, yeah, that's true. That's how you were looking at social things. Mm-hmm. But here, whenever you, cl- you make a claim, then there has to be the evidence. It has to be substantiated by some kind of data. Mm-hmm. So sociological imagination has two uh, dimensions. It has two attributes, the theoretical dimension and then the methodological dimension. Mm-hmm. By way of methodology, we justify our conclusions. That is... Okay, I'm making this claim because the data is telling me uh, that is I, I'm not just simply involved in some kind of speculation. Right. The theoretical dimension is it's a new form of understanding, a new orientation, looking at social matters from a different perspective mm-hmm. by way of um, the interplay between, as I said earlier, agency and structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, we emphasize on the role of social structural processes. We emphasize on how human beings are constrained or enabled by social structural processes. Mm-hmm. So most of the time, students do not have that kind of understanding. So at first, they are not unhappy by the types of assertions that I'm making in class. But over time, once they know mm-hmm. uh, what this, th- this type of thinking is, the methodology that we are using, the um, sociological perspectives that we have, we have multiple of them, then they start to enjoy it. But at first it's always, uh, it's not easy to teach sociology. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I just remember back in graduate school having to, taking your advanced sociological theory classes, Mm -hmm. it was challenging. It's like you mentioned, it's not easy to teach. It's not easy to grasp at mm. first but when you you know you immerse yourself so much into it and you spend the time mm. to understanding that yeah those ideas it, it becomes easy you know and, yeah but it's not easy at first definitely yeah. challenging but yeah. that's how we grow i mean 
if everything just came so easy, we'd forget probably. You yeah. Know? And, I and remember, also, yeah. well, honestly, I mean, sociologists, especially the most famous ones, they don't write easy. No. Like mm-hmm. the um, sociological theories, you know, at first you remember, I expect students to read original works. Yeah. But, you know, I see how challenging it could be. Even for somebody like me who has studied social theory for a long time, mm-hmm. it's not always easy to have um, the proper understanding at first. So yeah. that's the challenging part. And a good number of students, one of the challenges here is, you know, they don't know how to read. You know, they tell me, for example, okay, I read this chapter, and when it comes to the quiz or the test, they don't do well. And then they come and tell me, you know what, <laughs> I read it. Yeah. Okay, yeah, there is that type of reading, and there is another form of reading. You don't just simply skim it, read it, but you have to comprehend it as well. Yeah. You have to be engaged with the material that you are exposed to. Yeah. So that's one of the problems that I have personally mm. encountered teaching sociology. So, you know, what type of reading? When yeah. you read uh, exactly what have you done? It's not just simply, it's not like reading a novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's different. And the expectations on the part of the instructor is that, you know, okay, I'm not expecting a student just to tell me what she has read, but um, whatever she tells me has to make sense as well. Yeah. Okay, She has to be engaged. She has to be creative as far as that process is concerned. And yeah. Reading, most of the time, most people assume that it's just a passive process. Mm-hmm. When it comes to sociological reading, it's a creative process. You have to react, you have to be engaged, you have to be in it. So most students do not have that kind of experience. Yeah. So to tell them that, you know, sociological reading uh, is this type of reading is one of, I, I probably this is a problem that not only a sociological theory instructor, but any sociologist, and for that mm-hmm. matter, a psychologist, a political scientist, a historian, professor. This is this are this is one of the challenges that we encounter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I really enjoy the text you had us read the original works when we were graduate students, yeah. undergraduate students. And I still assign that text because I think it's great for students to be exposed to mm-hmm. that level of writing. You know, it's just, yeah. and what's nice about that book, it's um, cla- conte- classical and, and contemporary sociological theory texts yeah. and readings by Apple Roth and Edels. Yeah. And um, I love it. I mean, the students hate it, but I yeah. love it <laughs> because it's yeah. forcing them to yeah. get outside of their comfort zone and read the original text. Yeah. And it only gives you like an excerpt of the yeah. original works. Yeah. And then it it also has information about how the author interprets that exactly. information in their own languages, yeah. which I think is helpful. Then they come to class and then I talk about it. So they get like three levels of understanding of yeah. those ideas. And I think that when they, I've heard from students that when they go off to graduate school and learn theory again, yeah. that they're much more prepared that they feel like, because yeah. then that's, that's instructor is requiring them to read the original works. Yeah. And you had mentioned that it's, it's difficult. They don't make it easy. Yeah, <laughs> you know, they're yeah, the, yeah. Authors yeah, yeah, the, the, the authors of the theories. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's probably one of my critiques is um, when I read these original works sometimes is that it often seems like um, some of these works are are aimed at mm-hmm. teaching working class about their position in society yeah. or how their situation, how to understand their situations, but they write it in a way where yeah. they don't really understand it. Yeah. So that's kind of one of my yeah. critiques. I love Irving Goffman because I feel mm-hmm. like 
he writes in a way that students yeah. could actually understand and grasp. And he uses mm-hmm. the idea of a theater and a stage and, mm-hmm. and that as an example to illustrate his ideas of how yeah. we interact with each other. And so I think that those are much more easier to grasp, but yeah, it's mm-hmm. challenging. You know, yeah, the writings are challenging. Yeah. I think in large part because, you know, those people write not to the people in the middle class or the lower classes. And it's very interesting that they talk much about the middle classes and the lower classes, but the language is quite different. Mm-hmm. So most of the time it's meant for certain individuals with certain ex- expertise. Yeah. So the, the writing tends to be abstract. It's not easily yeah. understandable. But however, how, however, having said that, there is a plus as far as reading original works is concerned. Mm-hmm. I mean, if he can handle that kind of material, then the rest is easy. Yeah. I mean, you can read anything <laughs> literally after that. So, for example, in my case, I'm not a physicist, a biologist, a chemist by profession, but um, I read one of the things that I do is I enjoy reading biographies, the biography of Albert Einstein, the biography mm-hmm. of uh, Darwin. So it could be challenging for somebody like me because I'm not a physicist, mm-hmm. but still, since I'm accustomed to reading to this challenging works, mm-hmm. then relatively speaking, I can really have a good understanding, the biography of Albert Einstein, even yeah. if there is a lot of discussion about physics. Uh. One of the books that I read and enjoyed so much was A Brief History of Time. It's a book by a physicist, uh, Stephen Hawking. Mm-hmm. But uh, the reason why I did it, it's in part because, you know, I'm already, I have the experience reading that kind of stuff. Philosophy, huh. for example, could be really, really <laughs> a tough reading. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So one of the um, examples that I have here, the advantage of reading uh, a book of that kind is, the books of that kind is, one of my students uh, ended up being a PhD student mm-hmm. at the um, University of California, mm-hmm. Los Angeles, UCLA. Mm-hmm. And he was telling me that there were two students PhD students out of 40 students, he was one of them who were really actively engaged in that theory class. The rest of the class was really <laughs> passive, clueless. Yeah. But he was telling me that um, the instructor was surprised. Yeah. Now, where did I learn theory and um, that kind of stuff? Okay. And another student, of course, uh, also at the University of Tennessee, actually, she wrote a letter to the um, emailed uh, the dean at that time. Yeah. Her experience at the University of Tennessee, how she did very well in the, the theory class that she did. Actually, the professor there told her, you know what, you don't have to take this class. You already <laughs> wow. know. It. So, and, and then she ended up um, taking the comprehensive exam. She passed, and as a result, she told the dean that the number of years that it took me to get my PhD degree because of that was... Um, wow. decreased. Yeah. So, you know, you know, sometimes if you really work hard at a certain point in your life, mm-hmm. then you'll be rewarded later. This time around, some students who take my class think that I'm intentionally trying to push them. That's not the goal. Yeah. Challenging them. This kind of challenge really actually ultimately 
helps you. It's good to read original works. Mm-hmm. And I understand very well, even, I, I'm, I'm repeating myself here, even when I read a new book by a social philosopher, by a sociologist, it's mm-hmm. not easy. I have to sit down and think, but I know that ultimately I'm going to be rewarded by yeah. the process that I have gone through. Yeah, that's so interesting. I didn't even actually think about that, you know, like the, yeah. it's because it's so challenging. Now you're able to read other things as yeah. well and understand it, um, you know, 100%. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I feel like that's, you mentioned that that student that was just kind of like, you don't have yeah. to take this, you know, yeah. you're, you're free to go. And that's yeah. like every student's dream, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I oh, you don't have to take this class. Just it was one of yeah. my happiest days when I got that message. The uh, the dean, the the dean forwarded it to me, and I was, oh, my goodness. I was so happy. (laughs) This is one of, you know, when you teach sociology, you know, the rewards are not necessarily material. Mm -hmm. But uh, when you see that kind of reward, the symbolic significance of what that student did, she could have just kept quiet, but instead she was so excited she wrote the dean, and then the dean forwarded it to me and the department chair. It was one of my happiest moments. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah it was really good. Yeah. And so for, I guess, for uh, students that haven't taken your classes yet or, or are just about to take your class, um, is there any kind of advice you would give them to help them prepare for what you're going to teach about or the way that you set up the classroom and teach? Yeah, well, you know, first of all, whoever takes my class, and this is also true in your case and in the case of others, mm-hmm. our primary goal is to enlighten students. You know, there is so much talk these days about, you know, students being brainwashed in at the university level, yeah. at college. That's mm-hmm. not true. That's not what we do. We actually challenge our students. And um, students should... Uh, know that the goal of education at this level is to expand your critical imagination. Mm -hmm. We want you to be a good thinker, a better thinker. Probably, you know, everybody, every human being thinks, but the way we do it is limited. It's up to a certain point. Mm -hmm. Now, somebody who's going to take my class will be challenged because I'm going to push him or her. And then you know what? Okay, you can do better, go higher, much better. Mm-hmm. So that could be challenging. So they should expect. And it's not mm-hmm. intended to undermine or demean mm-hmm. whoever is deciding to take this class. It sounds like that. But however, the goal is, you know, to make you be a better thinker. Okay. Mm-hmm. There is this expression by Socrates the unexamined life is no worth living. Okay, so, you know, you can have life where you remain passive all the time. You don't think. But if you really examine life, you will be better off. You will be happy. Uh, There is happiness that comes as a result of that process. Mm -hmm. You you will do better in life if you are a good thinker. Life, as I mentioned earlier, could be sometimes challenging. And if you are a good thinker, you can do good. So in this case, you know, if um, the unexamined life is not worth living, then the examined life is worth living. So in this case, you have to have the appropriate t- tools. You mm-hmm. don't become a thinker just simply because you want to be a thinker. 
Mm-hmm. There are certain instruments that you need to become a good thinker. So this yeah. is this is what students should expect if they decide to teach to take my classes. Yeah. Ultimately, the goal is to uh, augment their critical imagination. So definitely, they will be challenged. That's what they need to expect from this class. Yeah, yeah, it's for from sure. the classes that I teach. Yeah, and you know they're they're paying to be challenged and to learn exactly. something and to you know yeah. build onto their knowledge. And yeah. so this is the right it's the opportunity to do yeah. it here, you know. And so yeah. and in your class, yeah. I just remember um, I worked part time. I was a mm-hmm. bartender <laughs> while yeah. I was going to graduate school, and I just remember thinking, just sitting down reading these theories and just yeah. being so fascinated with them, and then yeah. going into your class and talking about them. It just I just really loved it, you know, and yeah. I would, and then I had to go to work and it'd be like, gosh, you know, mm. I wish I could just sit here yeah. and get paid to read this text. And now yeah. I do, you know? <laughs> yeah. And you are right. So. In fairness to students, I mean, most students are not full-time students. Mm. You know, they have to juggle between multiple mm. areas. Um, some of them are full-time moms. Uh, and then she has to um, go to school. She has to work. It's not easy. Yeah. That's not how I have done it. Mm-hmm. You know, when I got my bachelor's degree in philosophy, I was just a student mm-hmm. and then nothing else. All what I did was just study, contemplate. I was in that process. Whereas here in the United States, unfortunately, the richest um, country in the world, you know, students don't get the appropriate wherewithal. Mm-hmm. So they have to struggle. There are the expectations on the part of the instructor. And then if you don't have the appropriate time to study, then you can't, even if you have the will. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the challenges that we encounter. And this is not a problem on the part of students. It's Mm -hmm. not, you know, a good number of students love to be here. They want to be a good student. But at the same time, I mean, there are a a variety of factors here that are constraining them. Mm -hmm. You know, how individuals are constrained by social processes. And instead of creating the mechanism, the appropriate mechanism to enable students to be good thinkers. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they are constrained. So that's one of the challenges that we have here. Most of our students, you know, they, they they are not, their parents are not rich Mm -hmm. and, um, or, uh, they they don't come from a rich family. So what happens is they have to do multiple things simultaneously. Yeah. So definitely. And then here, I'm expecting them, you know, to do better, to study hard, that kind of thing. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's too demanding. So that's one of the problems Mm. that I I mean, there is nothing that I can do and there is nothing that they can do as well. This is a societal problem, yeah, a social structural problem. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, one of the challenges of teaching at the university level. And most students assume that that um, high school and college are just one and the same. It's yeah. just a continuity. They don't understand that there is a breaking continuity. At mm-hmm. this level, the type of work expected and the way you handle with intellectual materials is quite different mm-hmm. from the way you do it at a high school level. Yeah. And most students, some students actually complain to me, you know, I was a straight A student when I was a student and here I am, I'm taking your class I cannot even get a C grade. So they indirectly, they're telling me, it's your problem. It's not my problem. Mm-hmm. But actually, that's not how it is. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing is that, you know, if you don't have this understanding that 
at this particular level, at the tertiary level, at the university level, at the college level, the expectations are different. Mm -hmm. The type of thinking that you are expected are different. If you don't have that kind of mindset, then you may frustrate, you get frustrated. Yeah. So that's one of the challenges of teaching here. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I took SAT, my SATs, bombed them, of course, mm -hmm. because <laughs> I, I didn't study for it. I didn't know yeah. you had to study for it. Yeah. That's just kind of the background I, I came from, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, and so I went to a community college and I felt like it was a better transition for me anyway. Yeah. You know, just going from high school into a four-year in, four yeah. institution is very yeah. difficult. The demands yeah. are different and the yeah. way of of studying and yeah. and turning in work, that's very different from the high yeah. school level. So I felt like the community college prepared me for my upper division work at a university. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why a lot of universities like to see transfer students from community colleges because they know that they're kind of immersed in that pattern of of studying those kind of behaviors and they'll, they'll succeed, you know? And so yeah. it is, yeah, it's very different when you come straight from high school into a four-year institution. I know some students can adjust and they can adjust fairly quickly mm -hmm. and well. Um, but yeah, for me, I think that it was just a better path for me, just yeah. going to the community college and then coming to, yeah. you know, four-year There has to be a transitional period. Yeah. You are right. I mean, there has to be not just a one-day orientation, but, you know, students have to be constantly reminded yeah. that here you are at a different um, um, situation. The, mm -hmm. the things are different here. So yeah. that's one of the things. You know, we have to tell students, okay, what are, what are the expectations here? They have to know. Mm -hmm. If they know, I think relatively, they will yeah. do better. And you are right. I mean, transitioning via the community college, it's really good. Yeah. Versus somebody mm -hmm. just coming from high school to a four-year university, and then the expectations are hard. The readings, for example. Yeah. So I'm teaching, for example, self and society class. The reading is not really easy, and then mm -hmm. somebody might say, "Oh my goodness, what is this?" So yeah. that's uh, that we on the part of administration and professors here, something yeah. has to be done. As mm. far as the transitional process is concerned. Yeah, I agree. So for yeah. that student that was like, hey, it's your problem. I was doing well. Did you say, yeah. oh, this is a culture shock. I could tell you all about my experience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yeah, you know, at first, usually this is the experience that I have. Um, so at first, you know, students think as if I'm intentionally pushing them, that kind yeah. of thing. But gradually they understand. And yeah. then I tell them, you know, especially on one-on-one -on -one discussion, you know, um, listen, this is how it is. There is no reason. If I can do it, I tell them. There is no reason why you cannot do it. But there is this process. Mm -hmm. You know, a gradual, slowly but surely, you will pass through this process. You will right. arrive wherever you want. And then... Just simply because you are challenged, it doesn't mean that you are failing. Even if you fail, mm -hmm. it's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, You can readjust and then you can have a new approach. If you have an aha moment, mm -hmm. then there is no reason why you cannot go through the process in a different way. Right. So this route is different and um, students have to have that kind of understanding. Yeah. Otherwise, I mean... There is nothing extra special about me or you as instructors. 
And uh, it's not because we are extremely bright that we are doing this. Mm-hmm. It's in large part, we have gone through the process. We have taken the challenges. We have understood what the process is. Yeah. So we have struggled. Mm-hmm. It's not like it didn't come easy to us. Mm-hmm. Even you remember when you first start teaching sociology, for example, it's not necessarily easy. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, I can very easily explain sociological ideas, theories, because, you know, I have been teaching this for quite some time. Mm-hmm. So there is always this uh, transitional period. Right. It's challenging. So students should understand yeah. that there is a process here. It's not probably some students think that, you know what, I'm paying. Okay, I deserve a better treatment. <laughs> so whatever uh, uh, I want to get, I have to get it. Yeah. Here I am. That kind of mentality doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Okay, just simply because you pay doesn't necessarily mean you will be paid, you'll be rewarded. Yeah, the consumer is not necessarily right here. Mm. So you know there are processes that you have to follow. Yeah. So that's what students uh, uh, need to know. Yeah, and it's a so, good point. You know, like um, I have students that fail and they come back and they do significantly better because they yeah. understand the what's expected of yeah. them at that. Yeah. Yes, point. I yeah. had that experience mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Some students tell me. I'm glad I took the class for the second time. Mm-hmm. This time around, they tell me the second time, I am really enjoying it because at first I was not taking it seriously. Yeah. I didn't know how this thing is done. Now, some students tell me honestly, uh, they were unhappy at first when they failed, but second time they did it, they truly enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, I think it can be, it's enjoyable. Yeah. And much in life, um, you can enjoy things in life when there is some challenge involved to it. That's mm-hmm. my perspective. I mean, if things yeah. come easy to you, then you don't enjoy it. Yeah. If it's challenging and then if you overcome that challenge, then you tr- you become happy. You are happy if you go through that process. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Well, hey, I want to thank you for coming on. I know you're very yeah. busy and teach you know, a, a myriad of classes and just want to thank you for your time and joining us on this podcast. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'd love to have you back on, talk more about theory and those concepts and yeah, ideas. Thank so. you very much. I really, truly enjoying it. I mean, it's not easy to talk about your personal experience. <laughs> yeah. Know? I'm not that kind of person, mm. but um, you know, it's fun. Mm. You did very well. Yeah. Thank I'm happy you. that I, you invited me to express my thoughts in relation to my personal intellectual biography. And as you mentioned, I'll be more than happy to do another interview, especially related to sociological theories and concepts. Yes, excellent. All right, we'll have those conversations soon. Okay, (laughs) Okay. thank you. All right, take care. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Sociology Talk. For more stories about sociologists, please subscribe and check out my other episodes. Take care.